0: welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And uh, this is the Wednesday review, as I've now decided to, to to christen it. And today I want to talk um, a little bit uh, about Gotham Rising uh, by Jules Stewart. It's uh, a book from um, obviously um, about uh, New York in the 1930s. Um and it comes from I.B. Taurus, my 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 regular supply of free and interesting books. Um, it 's a cultural history, really, um, and I like it because it 's a, a snapshot of a particularly uh, exciting and dynamic era. Um, in the front cover um, has this kind of panorama of New York at that moment, and the, the the buildings long before the great sort of towers of glass emerged from the sixties onwards. Are this kind of uh, snapshot of the the, um, the the images and hopes and aspirations really of modernism itself? And the um, New York emerges in the first quarter of the twentieth um, century as this landmark of modernity. It is the epicenter of the skyscraper, the home of jazz, and the the um, an icon of American confidence uh, even during the, the Great Depression which is, is really when most of this book is set and I think there's an immense value in looking at books like this from time to time because they are evocative of this idea of place this idea that at certain times certain places have particular um historical and culturally defined meanings um that it's hard really to uh identify sometimes hardly even on a conscious level to identify and hard to um untangle and this book helps to navigate that the book um paints a very vivid picture of social life in New York um, at the start of the 1930s. And here's an extract. Imagine taking a stroll up Midtown Manhattan on a summer evening in 1931. Swankily attired women are to be admired along the street in long skirts and backless evening frocks. This is a time when hemlines have dropped with a bang to supplant the bare-legged flapper style of the Roaring Twenties. Most certainly some of the ladies are had to show off the daring new fad for leisure wear, lampooned in the New York Times fashion pages as formal pyjamas for street wear, A few women might be strolling along on their own, proudly taking advantage of America's new age of gender equality. After all, it's now just a moment more than a decade since they earned the right to vote. But more than likely they are accompanied by debonair young men in loose-fitting jackets and striped summer blazers and billowing Oxford bags. There's no disguising the craze to emulate the dapper and elegant Duke and Duchess of Windsor. those two fashion icons of the 1930s who bestow their glamour on the salons of the newly appointed Waldorf Astoria Hotel, the Stork Club, and other uh, gathering spots of the Manhattan Smart Set. With two years to go before the repeal of Prohibition, many of these couples are no doubt heading to one of the New York speakeasies, which number in the thousands. The classiest of these clandestine gin palaces is the 21 Club in 52nd Street, whose cellar is cleverly concealed in a bar while stocked with imported wines um, and spirits. The 21 Club counts among its distinguished clientele the cream of New York society, including its flamboyant mayor, gentleman Jimmy Walker. The most classily turned-out men, are identifiable by their broad shouldered double-breasted suits and wide-brimmed, soft felt hats. These are the bootleggers, most of them Italian mobsters who keep the speakeasies supplied with booze, smuggled in from Canada and Europe. This is the time of widespread mafia violence, when it's not uncommon to find bullet-ridden bodies in the streets in the wake of gangland feuding between whiskey barons. The more adventurous Manhattanites setting out for a night on the town travelling to 125th Street in the heart of Harlem to listen to Duke Ellington at the Cotton Club, where the Jazz Legends Orchestra plays as the house band. Others head for Broadway's famed Great White Way to take in one of the popular musicals of the day, topping the reviews of George and Ira Gershwin's Of The I Sing and Cole Porter's The New Yorkers. The latter a prohibition satire that takes no prisoners, be they socialites or bootleggers. Only a few months earlier, in April, the Empire State Building was completed, eclipsing its rival the Chrysler Building as the world's tallest skyscraper. Both these Art Deco masterpieces light up Manhattan's night sky with almost mystical radiance that is visible from Central Park to the north and all the way to the Bowery, two miles south. Now imagine that for whatever reason, perhaps out of simple curiosity to explore another corner of the city, you execute a vault farce, and direct your, your feet to the murky side of the street. You pass Union Square, bounded north and south by Seventeenth and Fourteenth Streets, east and west by Park Avenue South and Union Square West. A great tumult has erupted from the north corner, where speakers are harangued and the, the crowd, uh, where, where speakers are haranguing the crowd from makeshift soapboxes. Without warning, baton swinging, mounted police have lost patience with the Communist Party of the USA rally that has blocked traffic with its noisy call to join the class struggle and overthrow the capitalist system. You pick up the pace, heading down to the darkened recesses of the Bowery. Here Here you are greeted by an entirely different spectacle, of thousands of homeless and hungry, clustering in the streets, with nowhere to spend the night, and with no idea where their next meal is coming from. Unshaven men of all ages, their eyes blank, indifferent to the clatter of the Third Avenue, elevated subway rumbling overhead. The streets are lined with derelict tenements and boarded-up shops, whose doorways shelter the destitute from the elements. Lots of men crowd together around makeshift bonfires. When the winter comes, they will hold their caps over the flames just long enough to absorb the heat and replace them on their heads. They will perform this ritual hour after hour. So obviously the big story um, that... Uh, contextualizes this entire book is the Great Depression. The Great Depression lasts for much longer in America than it does in Europe. Um, in by nineteen thirty-four, Great Britain is rising out of the depression, but the uh, America uh, stays in uh, far longer. Um, nor this normally this is put down to the fact that America. Um, does not abandon its fixed system of exchange the gold standard um until um until much later um and the it's only the war that seems to really power america out of the financial doldrums however you get um a real division in new york as a third of new yorkers live in poverty but there is a record uh, pace of skyscraper building um the um central um central districts of of manhattan times square and places like that are still alive with um advertising uh hoardings and neon lights uh proclaiming the uh the glories of american consumerism and the irony of course is that the uh the first kind of Pebbles of the landslide fall in New York itself uh, on Wall Street. Now, previously, I've talked about um, the Wall Street crash uh, uh, at length, and the the only thing that that kind of bears repeating here is the um, the the kind of the the psychology and the thinking and the beliefs that underpinned um, the uh, the Wall Street crash in that um the shift of the american economy towards financialization towards um uh, a speculative economy uh and an economy based on borrowing um really are the, the seeds of its downfall um and the uh, belief that uh, a financialized economy uh, based on speculative value as opposed to real values or real asset values values of stuff, you know, shops, factories and infrastructure producing wealth, um, that that could continually, uh, that the, the speculative wealth that could con- continually um, lay gold, golden eggs, as it were, um, There, this was unconditionally um, accepted that this was the case. And it's tempting to suggest that this fantasy um, is produced by... A deeper belief in American exceptionalism, one which was intimately tied in with isolationist tendencies uh, after the First World War. Not that America actually becomes as isolationist as people think; it's still making all sorts of bilateral uh, agreements. It just doesn't join the League of Nations, but there is a, a deeply isolationist aspect to uh, uh, American culture, and. The, uh, it manifests itself um, in the, the economic thinking of the late 1920s in a belief that the normal workings of the economy don't really apply to the United States. Um, the, uh, for example, Dr Max Winkler, a lecturer in international finance at the School of Business of the College um, of the City of New York, said, The United States may reasonably be said to be immune from economic and social disturbance, doom and Cassandras at the end of the nineteen twenties did not fit with the, the the kind of national experience of the nineteen twenties, um, particularly in cosmopolitan outposts like New York, um, where, where the nineteen twenties had been experienced as a period of mass consumerism, and um, the and and it was a time which held out the promise to those who didn't participate in the mass consumerism that that lifestyle was just around the corner. Um, the, the realities of a decade of economic crisis were really too, um, uh, uh, too unpalatable to consider, even though as we grow, draw later into 1929, more and more voices are starting to suggest that unrestrained speculation was going to blow the economy wide open. The problem, of course, is that uh, America in the 1920s had um, experienced such an explosive level of economic growth in terms of uh, manufacturing and mass production that markets had quite literally become saturated, especially when consumer markets had become uh, burdened by debt. There was basically too much stuff. In the years between 1918 and 1929... US manufacturing uh, output doubled, um, a feat that has not been repeated in US economic history um, since. Uh, The American automobile industry in the three years up to 1929 put a million extra cars on the road, and 80% of the cars in the entire world were owned by the affluent American middle class. The crash that happened at the end of October in uh, 1929 in New York was followed by the um mayoral election um in which Mayor Walker who was widely seen as uh, a corrupt and dissolute drunkard um who was deeply associated with corrupt Tammany Hall politics and the mafia uh, managed to retain his um his his tenure Um, and served until 1932. The uh, shortcomings of Walker were well known, but it was widely seen as um, a a safe pair of hands in a crisis. Um, His uh, various um, exploits that were uh, publicised, his drinking and and notorious philandering, um, were... Overlooked and Walker, a Democrat and the son of Irish-American immigrants, easily defeated Fiorello Lugardia, um a Republican uh, from Greenwich Village. The corrupt Tammany Hall system, the fact that New York had two Democrat voters to every Republican, and the fact that the uh, New York uh, uh, City press... Um, Particularly led by William Randolph Hearst, uh, were more than happy to um, support Walker uh, against LaGardia, ensured that uh, Walker was going to be returned as mayor. Franklin Roosevelt, who was um, the governor of New York from 1928 to 1933, was very wary of the Tammany Hall system, uh, even though he too was a democrat, um, and he treated it with uh, respect and mistrust. Despite the crushing defeat for LaGradia, um, who was um, unable to carry a single assembly district, and only took 26% of the vote, which was the lowest um, figure for any mayor or candidate since the creation of Greater New York in 1898. Um, He actually returned in 1934 to become mayor and served three successive terms and had an airport named after him. Finally, the New York establishment turned on Walker. It is an affair with um, a chorus girl, Um, and his, at all expenses paid, trips to uh, Europe, um, his debaucheries at uh, drinking holes, particularly the aforementioned 21 Club, um, shifted the tide of public opinion, particularly in a time of straightened circumstances uh, and sobriety uh, of the... um, mid-1930s. Admittedly, by this time, Prohibition had been ended, but the um, general view of public officials um, was that it was this kind of behaviour in the 1920s, that had got everyone into a mess indeed. Anyway, that's just a taste of the book which you can get from uh, Ivy Tourists and or All Good Bookshops um it's well worth a read and it's really i think the 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 quality of the book comes from the colour uh, the colour it gives um the the kind of the very rich tapestry um of um new york at its its um its peak you see characters as diverse as winston churchill bugs moran the gangster um fred Astaire and ginger rogers Uh, the guy who built the Empire State Building, John J. Raskob, interacting uh, in this um, exciting and dynamic um, moment in uh, in cultural history. Um, I think the only other point in New York history which kind of rivals the 1930s is uh, the 1970s when uh, the city was on the verge of bankruptcy and yet these You have explosions of music from punk to hip-hop to disco uh, emerging in in Manhattan and beyond. Um, Okay, well, I'll finish there. Um, But, yes, get yourself a copy of Gotham Rising. It's a great read, and remember, please, when you can, support your independent book retailers. Um, Try to buy from wherever you can from uh, ethical booksellers online uh, or go straight to the publisher, uh, IB Tourist. If we don't do these things, then the system for creating these books will wither and uh, we'll all be we'll all be the poorer. Anyway, catch you again on Friday with uh, the final podcast of the week. I hope you guys are having a good one. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.